Well, as we conclude our look at what I've called the Christmas and the cross story, and it's the grand arc of the Bible story of salvation, let me just remind you real quickly where we've been. Uh, we, we started out looking at that foolish choice that humanity made uh, to follow the temptation of the old deceiver. And that, that choice caused us as humans to be marred with uh, the stain of sin. Then we looked at the prophet Isaiah where he foretold uh, that the, the Messiah would rise and he would come from a region called Galilee, uh, which would have been kind of odd considering that was not the primary hotbed of of where the line of David came from, but we looked at how that happened. Uh, and then we looked at the account of Mary where she agreed to be a participant of God's plan. She said, be it unto me according to your word, as the verse we've been memorizing this month goes. Now I wanted to lead you to John chapter 3. It's a verse that you're very familiar with. And we turn to the words of Jesus. And setting the story is kind of important to understand um, the verse and why he says what he does. It's, it's, a, it, it's a setting late at night. Uh, Jesus has a guy come to him under cover of darkness because he was afraid to be discovered. His name was Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. He was trying to figure out who Jesus was, uh, like many people do in life. Uh, and in that conversation, Jesus tells Nicodemus he has to be born again. You're probably familiar with the story. Nicodemus's thought is, oh, hold up a second, Jesus. How can I be born again? I can't enter the womb again and be born a second time, can I? And, of course, Jesus wasn't talking about physical birth. He was talking about the spiritual birth that all humanity needs. This man gets confused, a lot of consternation, doesn't make sense. Then in response to that, Jesus draws a parallel that that within Jewish circles would have made perfect sense, and we didn't spend time looking at it this, this series because it just didn't fit the time frame. But he draws a parallel between Moses in the wilderness when he lifted up a serpent uh, to bring healing to the people because of their rebellion, which is the tie-in to the Christmas, the Christian story. Uh, and if, if they had to look to this serpent, they had to look up to the one lifted up to be saved. And then after he says that, he comes to these verses. Look at John three, sixteen. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Father God, we come before you asking your wisdom. As we take just a minute to look at a, a familiar verse followed by some verses that sometimes we don't even notice because we focus on the one. But Father, help us to see the big picture of how your love comes to us and how your love allows us to be transformed and how your love can change us, God if we'll allow it to do that. We pray your blessing on this time. We pray that you'd help us to understand your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to see four things this morning, kind of quickly, about God's love. The first thing I want you to notice is this, that God's love is made known. It's not a secret. He's not hiding it from us. He's not trying to keep us from finding it. Rumi reminds you of the verse, God so loved the world, what? That he gave his only son. 
Some translations catch that as the only begotten son. And that's a very accurate translation as well. But it says on, it goes on and says that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, our passage this morning begins with what is probably the most familiar passage of all Christian literature, John 3.16. You'll see the words John 3.16 in a football game sometimes, and people go, well, who is that? What is that? We know it growing up in church. We've heard it again and again and again. And these words, though, carry a lot of meaning, and they sometimes carry meanings that the text doesn't support. At first glance, it might seem that God's soul of the world, that, that God loves everyone. And let me say, on, a, on one level, God absolutely loves everyone. But there's another level in this text that we need to grasp, and it's the reality that God absolutely abhors our sinfulness. So it's kind of a weird dichotomy. God loves us, but he also hates what we do and how we live our lives as a result of the fall. But recall, God had a solution from when? It wasn't God's plan B to send his son. God's plan A was to send his son. God's plan A was to bring salvation through Christ, to bring redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. And so he gave his son to be born of a virgin. Some of us might think, well, why in the world would he do it that way? It's how God did it. He lived a perfect life. We read that in his story. And we know that he went to the cross at the end so he could purchase for us redemption. And his offer stands for those of us, for all of us, who will receive it. And that leads us to the offer. Did you notice it? Whoever believes. Now, the word believe is an interesting word in the original language. It's the... Pistuo is the root word in that, and it means literally faith. The problem is when you translate from one language to another, you've got to make it sound uh, grammatically correct in, in the language you're going into. So literally that verse would read in Greek more like that whoever faiths in him. We don't have that word in the right form in English, so we use a different word. And it's an acceptable word, but it's the word believe. But it's a bigger word than just believe. Like this morning, I believe it's cold outside. If you don't believe me, just walk outside without a jacket on. Some people did that this morning. And you kind of think, what in the world were you doing? Maybe you just ran out to get the paper. Maybe you just ran out to catch something outside. I don't know. But if you walk outside very long without much on, you'll get really, really cold. I'm going to tell you, go out there with a heavy coat, you'll probably get cold, right? I believe it's cold. Do you believe it's cold? But that's not the same thing as the belief he's talking about here. This is a deeper meaning than just believe something exists. And what he does here, he says, he makes this offer to us. Now, I also want you to see in this verse the idea that God does not give us the ability to make the decision on our own without his intervention. Now, you're going, what do you mean? The word belief carries a very important concept that we sometimes overlook when we just run through the verse. It's the idea that God places within humans the faith that we need to faith Jesus. Y'all with me? He gives us that faith. You're thinking, well, I thought I made the decision. You made the decision. You responded. Why? Because God placed within you the ability to do that. He placed within you that faith. And he's no longer in that process is our destination a real and literal place called hell, but it's a real and literal place called heaven. His love is made known to us. It's not hidden from us. He reveals it to us. He shows it to us. His creation declares that to us. Our choice is to respond when he gives us that faith. Second, God's love is mighty. Look at verse 17. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. Some people say, well, Jesus came to condemn everybody. No, he didn't. He didn't come to condemn you. Why? 
Because of your sin nature, because of your born to sin, you're bent to sin, you were, I was already condemned. You think, well, my beautiful baby is condemned. Yes. My children who haven't trusted Christ yet are condemned. Yes. I have relatives who don't know Christ yet. Are they condemned? Yes. Some of you say, well, that's not very loving. Well, you know, trash stinks. I mean, it's just what it is, right? I mean, you get upset about it, but you can't change it. The reality is, it is what it is. And you just have to deal with it. And God said, I did not send my son into the world to condemn the world. Why? Because we were already condemned. Every person born on planet earth since Adam and Eve, with the exception of Christ Jesus of Nazareth, is born with a corrupted sin nature. Now, we're not going to debate what happens to children and all that kind of stuff because that's not germane to this morning. The reality is the course of life, we grow up and we get to the point where we are accountable for our sin and it's the sin that was ours. We've already got it. But his love is mighty. We were already on the path away from God. We were already on the highway to hell, if you will, and there was no hope for us. So Jesus didn't have to come to condemn us. Why did he come then? He tells it very clear. He brought a mighty option here, the mighty offer. Look at this, the second half of that verse. He came in order so that the world, don't miss this word, might be saved. There is no room in Christian thought for a universalism where everybody goes to heaven. Everybody's good. Everybody's moral. Everybody's nice. Everybody's going to... The scriptures make it very plain that all of us are born in sin and none of us have an automatic ticket into heaven. We don't get it. Jesus came to make salvation possible. Remember the context of the verse. He's talking to a guy named Nicodemus who had grown up in a, as a religious Pharisee. He knew the rules. He knew the scriptures. He knew the stories. He knew all the stuff. He knew everything. The problem was he didn't know Messiah. He didn't know Jesus. He knew the religion without the relationship. Jesus came to make salvation possible. And what he's telling him and us, I believe, is this. Good works won't cut it. We need to have good works as a result of our salvation, but they don't bring us salvation. Religious activities will not accomplish it. You can go to as many church services as you want. You say, I went to church on Christmas this year, and a lot of my friends didn't come, and I'm just way more com-. No, listen, that doesn't make you any more spiritual than anybody else. It just shows a commitment in your heart. And morality is never enough. God's mighty love revealed in the person of Jesus is the only way we find the gift of salvation. It's in Christ alone that we can be saved. God's love is made known. It's it's mighty. Third, it's manifest. I want you to notice this. Look at verse 18. Whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. The word again is more than just believing that it's cold. It's the idea of faith. So literally the translation, if you could do it in English correctly, if the word existed that we need, maybe we just need to create that word. I'm faithing Jesus. You know, it it doesn't work in English, but it's good theology. Is that whoever faiths Jesus, whoever faiths in him, whoever has actively returned that faith he's given us back to God saying, I'm trusting you, I'm I'm committing to you, I'm giving my life to you, I trust you, and it's it's here. This is is the idea that there are only uh, two and... Two kinds of people on planet Earth. It's a manifest in the decision of whether you have faith or you don't have faith. Whether you are faithing or you are not faithing, to be literally correct. 
Uh, it's the idea of, of, of faith. This word speaks to the idea of a person being persuaded that they believe. You remember the old hymn, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him unto that day. That's the idea that we come to a place where we go, God, I'm trusting you so much. I believe in you that I am not condemned. I've believed in the Holy Spirit and the God of, 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 of all creation to come into my life. And, and it means that there's two and only kinds, uh, only two kinds of people in the world. Who are they? Those who are following Jesus, who are faithing Jesus, and those who are not. You go, well, I know people who don't know God and they're nice people. We're not talking about nice. We're talking about having faith. We're not talking about being moral. We're talking about having faith in Christ. There's a difference in that. And and, and there's those who have faith in him and those who haven't. There is absolutely no middle ground here. And there's no kind of, I'm kind of walking with Jesus. I'm kind of walking with Jesus. I'm kind of with him. Either you're with him or you're not. Either you're following him or you're not. Either you're sold out to him or not. Either you're committed or not. Which one is it? Say, well, that's a high call. Dear friends, the Son of all creation, the God of all creation sent his only Son to purchase for you the salvation that you've received. How can we not do the very best in returning that? That's the calling he has for us. And it's good news because those of us who've received his offer have got a destination that's that's not (laughs) hell. And sin is no longer our master. We've been set free to live for him. But for those of you who've never received his offer, you're already already living in condemnation. There's a better way. And then fourth, God's love does something in our lives. Even those who don't know God have this outcome. And it's this, it brings movement. It brings movement. Every one of us is moving one direction or another. Every one of us. There's an old adage I learned years ago. I don't say it much anymore. Maybe I should. But it says this. Lost people act like lost people. You know the rest of that one? Because they're lost. You're going, well, that's not very complicated. No, but it's true. People who don't know God live a certain way because they don't know God. There's a corollary to that as well. Saved people, you know this one? Act like saved people, why? Because they're saved. There's something different among those of us who know Christ. Does that mean we're perfect? Not yet. Does it mean we're on the progress towards perfection? Hopefully we're going in the right direction. But God's love brings about a movement in our lives. These thoughts are based on, the, on these three verses. We're either uh, moving away from God or we're learning to be in sync with him. We're either coming closer to God or we're moving further away from God. As we saw earlier, every one of us was born in darkness. Every one of us was born in sin. And we won't leave that pathway without an offer from Jesus for have redemption loosed in our lives. And our movement is either toward God or away from God. We're either getting closer to him or running further away. We're always moving. So I guess the question I would ask you this morning on Christmas is, what direction are you moving? Are you moving toward God or are you moving away? Are you becoming more in tune with his ways or are you becoming less in tune with his ways? You say, well, I'm just going to hold steady. It doesn't work that way. There's, there's something about us that tends to drift away when we try to sit still. You're going on a boat and you think you stopped and you're not moving. And you look around and you're down the shoreline. 
You're across the lake. Something about our lives when we don't have active movement for or against, we will drift in some direction or another. And Jesus made it plain that while we're born in darkness and we'll remain in darkness, we don't have to stay that way. There is a better way. We don't have to remain in darkness. We can have new life. Whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. We don't have to stay in rebellion. There is movement. So three quick things. I've really planned that we'd finish early today. Some of you got plans with family. You're going to go finish opening more presents. Some of you've been up since 3.30 this morning and you need a nap. You got small kids in the house, that happens, and that's good. Three quick thoughts. First of all, God loved you first. God loves you first. You know, a lot of human effort called religion centers on the action and the decisions of people. If I do this, then God will accept me. If I perform these rituals, then I will find favor with God. To focus on what we do is, the focus is to focus on what we do or on the name of God. But such an approach to God will always come short, always. It leaves us in the cold. It leaves us with missing something. I'm going to tell you, I don't know how many actions I can do to earn God's favor. Do you? If I go on enough of these, these projects and these activities and these religious things and do this and do this, will I have enough? When we left it to ourselves, we won't figure it out. But the approach that like that, it leaves us short. It leaves us in the cold. It leaves us without an intimate relationship with God. But remember, God didn't forsake you. He didn't leave you. Think back to Adam and Eve. In the very beginning, when they fell, he said, I have the way for you to be redeemed. He wasn't blindsided by the choices of Adam and Eve. He knew exactly what was going to happen. In fact, Paul wrote about it when he wrote to the church at Rome, and he said this, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You're probably thinking, this is Christmas Day, Patrick, not Easter. It's not Good Friday. But the story all wraps together. Because he came for one reason, what? To die on a cross so we could have new life. Think about this. We were all, when we were dead in trespasses and sins, God sent his son on a day we call Christmas to be born of a virgin. For what purpose? To redeem us. That's why he came. That's the gift he offers to us. We didn't have to develop the plan. We had to come up with a way. We had to figure it out on our own. These things are written that we may believe in the name of the Son of God and have new life. Praise God he didn't leave us to our own devices. Aren't you glad? He didn't say, well, go figure it out. Good luck. He said, I have the way. Second, our actions reveal our true identity. What we do in our lives is not about earning salvation. But what we do with our lives once we trust Christ in salvation reveals how we're doing, how things are going. And we could talk about the fruit of the Spirit for a minute, but I I suspect the big idea is really centered on what we do after the fact. Think about the why you do what you do. Do you do, do you do the things you do in life because you're forced to do them? Well, I have to do it. I don't have a choice. They're making me do it. 
They're making me get up and, and, and fix this big dinner. They're making me go and serve in these, this, this, this particular ministry. They're making me. Who? I'm convinced that every single one of us, myself included, we don't do what we don't want to do. And we do what we want to do. I've met very few people who don't get to do what they're going to, they're going to do when they have the freedom to do it. We, we reveal what we do, what we are by what we do. We reveal our hearts by our actions. I reveal our true identity by the way we live. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 7. He was speaking to some of his disciples. He said, beware of the false prophets who come in sheep's clothes, clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them. If you don't mind writing your Bible, underline verse 16. You will recognize them how? By their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but diseased tree, the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. You're probably thinking, why was Jesus talking about gardening? He wasn't. He was talking about life. He was talking about us. He's telling us, how do you know what a person's like? How do you know what they're about? You see it in their fruit. I've never planted a tree hoping to get watermelons. Why? They don't come from there. Same thing's true of us. You recognize us by our fruit. He's speaking of vines and bushes and all these kind of things. But the same is true of us. For while we all look rather similar in fruits, similar, well, all of us look kind of similar. You know, you're looking around going, well, nobody looks like me. No, but you're similar. You got two eyes, a nose, two ears, two legs, two arms, ten fingers, ten toes. If you've got everything that you were born with or were supposed to have to start with, right? So everyone in here is kind of similar. The difference comes in with our fruit, the way we live. It's not on the outside, it's on the inside. How we live, what we do, where we go serves to reveal us. And then third, remaining the same just isn't an option. There's a principle from this message, and actually it's a principle that we've been talking about all month. It's the whole series in a a way, is that once we answer the call of the great Redeemer to say, yes, I will follow you. Yes, I am your child. Yes, I accept you as my Savior. We cannot remain the same. There's just no way. He reveals his plan for us. He leads us in paths of righteousness, and he wants us to conform to the image of his dear son. You're thinking, why would I want to conform to a guy who lived 2,000 years ago? Because he was the son of God, and he revealed the way to live a perfect life. What God did by sending his son was to bring about the potential for you and I to to be a new person. And we've already talked about the dark nature of humans. So let's talk about the new nature that he gives us in Christ. In the moment you and I met Jesus, here's what happened. Or for those of you who don't know Christ yet, what will happen? Here's what happens. You're redeemed by the blood of Christ. And you receive a new name. No, you don't get a literal name, but you get a new description. Who am I? Well, I was a kid born in Hot Springs, grew up in Texas. Went to school in New Orleans. That's just who 
things I've done. Who am I? Well, I'm a husband. I'm a daddy. That's, again, just who I am. That's not who I really am. Who am I? Who are you? I'm a child of God. And I cannot stay. You cannot stay the same with that new identity. In the moment you met Christ, you were instantly forgiven. Listen, not of some sin or some of the things you've done, but listen, all of them, weren't you? You were given a new name, a new slate, a new beginning, a new start. Now, have you messed up since then? Uh, Yeah, hello. That's why we have to continue to confess our sins and he's always faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But we cannot stay the same. We cannot continue to do those things. And while the externals remain the same and we look like we did, there's a difference in our lives. There's a transformation in our lives. Our direction in life is different. We're going in a new way. Listen to what Paul said to the people at Corinth. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now, now what does he mean by that? He's not saying, well, some are older and some are younger. Well, it's kind of what he means. Here's what he's saying, I believe, is this. We do not look at you according to your flesh. I don't look at you Christ doesn't look at you, and we're not supposed to look at each other based on our age, our gender, our skin color, our economic status, how good we do at some things and don't do at others. It's not about that anymore. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, and we realized he lived in the flesh, but we no longer we, re, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, listen, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? New creation. You're not the same. You can't stay the same as you were before Christ. Why? The old has passed away. The old man, ladies, the old woman has passed away. She doesn't live here anymore. He doesn't live here anymore. Why? Because we've been given a new nature, a new creation. We were transformed. It's a big deal. And the new has come. We have a new nature, a new direction. As a follower of Christ, I can't look at you the way I used to. I can't approach you the way I used to. I cannot treat you like I would if I were lost. Instead of all those temporary externals, I'm called to look where? To the heart. To the heart of people. Not one of us in this room has arrived, have we? But the process of change continues and grows. We are a new creation. We're new direction, new change. And for those of you who have yet to meet him, this is the promise he has for you. He wants to make you into a new person, to transform you from what you are to what he wants you to become and to set you free to follow the better angels of our nature. Let's pray together. Father God, we pray right now for those in this room who need to respond, even on a Christmas day. We pray for the faith that we have that's given from you, Father, to respond and to reply and return to you. And that, Father, we would come just as we are. But, Father, we would recognize that we're not going to stay as we are that you want to make us new. You want to renew our our hearts. You want to transform us. And Father, that is the gift of Christmas. And Jesus came to make new life possible. 
We pray, God, for your hand in these few moments. Father, those who might need to respond, we give them that opportunity. And Father, we pray for your blessing in this day. In Jesus' name, amen.